All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the 14th day of May, 2019. I do want to uh, remind you that I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call our office in New York, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours. But also encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Chen is uh, especially astute in the area of biotechs. He's also done extremely well with the energy shares and also follows uh, very uh, accurately and very very well the uh, mining share sector as well. He and I trade some ideas from time to time in the uh, gold and silver mining sector. Um, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I'd also like to invite you to keep your questions and comments coming along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We do uh, need to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Great Bear Resources, Klondike Gold, Novo Resources, RN Resources, and Strike Point Gold. Before I get on to today's show, I would like to remind you that if you are in the Vancouver, B.C. area on May 24th and 25th, there are still a few seats available if you would like to attend the Metals Investor Forum. That's in downtown Vancouver. You can go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, click on the Metals Investor Forum banner, enter your name and address, and then you'll be assured a seat at the Metals Investor Forum. It is limited. I'm told uh, we're very near to the cutoff, uh, so if you do want to go, you better uh, sign up sooner rather than later. Uh, I will be inviting the following companies to the show. They will be there presenting. There are companies that I have recommended in my newsletter uh, and with the exception of, well, a couple of them, I guess, I own personally. Uh, but uh, GFG Resources, Gold Source Mines, Radisson Mining, Rise Gold Corp., and Strike Point Gold are the companies that I have invited uh, to the show, uh, to the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver. Well, let's get on to today's show. I've titled it Making Money with Sprott. Peter Groskoff, he's the CEO uh, and Managing Director of Sprott, Inc., he visits for the first time. Gwen Preston and Michael Oliver return. Sprott, Inc. is named, of course, after the founder, Eric Sprott. Uh, he's attracted, the, the company has attracted a team of highly talented investment managers and geoscientists to allocate some $8 billion worth of uh, res- uh, into the resource sector in anticipation of the next precious metals bull market. 
And you can own shares of Sprott. That's one way to benefit and make profit with Sprott. You can own shares of Sprott. It trades uh, under the symbol SII. I believe it is. I'll, I'll verify that with Peter. It's paying about a 4% dividend. The shares are a relatively low price now. Uh, it may be a good way to go because, as you'll hear from Peter, it's a very diversified company with lots of different products. You can also uh, invest in various ETFs that they have, both in the bullion ETFs as well as uh, gold shares ETFs that they handle. And the company also is very much involved in managing a couple of resource companies that we'll talk to Peter about uh, when he comes on during the second half of today's show. Right after our first break, Gwen Preston will join me to talk about three of her favorite gold stories, uh, which I believe that she will be uh, inviting to the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver on May 24th and 25th. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you, once again, thank goodness for almost every week, he's with us, Michael Oliver. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you with us. Uh, you sort of help me stay on track uh, and not get too worried or uh, or, or upset or, uh, you know, people get a little bit nervous when markets don't go their way. And we've had uh, quite a few years now. Well, we had some pretty horrible down years in the gold market. And then we've had about three years, I would say, sort of base building uh, time frame here. Uh, and we're getting a little impatient, uh, Michael. We'd like to see gold take off pretty soon. But before we ask you about gold, I would like to ask you, um, to comment a little bit on on this volatile stock market that we've had yesterday with the gold shares, I mean the uh, uh, the S and P and the mainstream stocks got whacked really hard. Today they're coming back. Are we out of the woods now? Oh, you mean out of the woods if you're a bull? Yeah, out of the woods <laughs> no. if you're a bull. <laughs> no, no. If you're if you're a bear, you're you're probably getting into the woods of uh, the good woods. Uh, the we. Our analysis is momentum-based, meaning we analyze not just price structure, which everybody else does, but price is measured against certain moving averages, and then we oscillate them, thereby creating momentum charts. We look at them like most people would look at a price chart. They see trend lines and so forth. Well, our work told us in the low 2900s, in other words, about a percent or two off the recent high, that it was going to break down again. Now, we didn't mean break down off the page, but break down enough to be meaningful. Uh, we hit a number on Friday that we'd pre-specified as a bounce point. That was 28.65 on the S&P, and it was momentum-based, not price. And sure enough, they rallied 63 points off that in about four hours on Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday gave it up and broke through that level, closed below it. Now we're back above it a bit, and it, it, the point was to break it, and we broke it. So that's sort of a negative. It's like a shin kick. You know, you've got a mm-hmm. fractured shin. Okay. Um, the... Other level that's now price-based that I can see that they're defending, and that's 2800 on the S&P, cash, that is. Futures mm-hmm. already traded it, uh, in the night session. You touch 2800 on the S&P, and something happens to the guys who keep big, large, long-term point-and-figure charts at the S&P. If you go back to January 2018, the top tick was 2850 on a 50-point scale. You know, X's, mm-hmm. those, you've seen those kind of charts. Yes. It collapsed to 2600 after that. Okay, then you came all the way back up to 2850, and you put in a 2900 uptick. That was mm-hmm. in September of last year. What did you do after you break out above the high? You collapsed to 2350. Mm. Okay, now you come all the way back up, and you've taken out the 2900 high by reaching 2950 this month. And what are you threatening to do? Throw three down ticks to 2800. If they touch 2800, and if I were just a price guy, mm-hmm. I would get a little itchy. 
And so yesterday they bought it at 2801 and change. Okay. <laughs> so they know where they don't want to touch. I would say suggest anybody who's uh, intensely long on the stock market, if you touch 2800, uh, pack it in. You know, this is this is getting ridiculous. I think what we've got is three widening highs on the S&P going back to January of 2018 where you make mm-hmm. a higher high, fail, higher high, fail, you know. And you've got lower lows in between, so it's a widening mm-hmm. pattern. It's a classic price chart pattern. Momentum says it's likely to be a widening top on price because momentum is nowhere near reaching the January high of 2018, nor the September high of 2018. Mm-hmm. So momentum's headed down, price is inching new highs. So there's mm-hmm. a contradiction there. And mm-hmm. we argue that uh, pay attention to momentum, and also now on price, pay attention to 2800. If you see 2800, I suspect no matter what the headlines are going to be, plus or minus on this trade stuff, uh, mm-hmm. we're headed down. Mm-hmm. Now the speed is the only issue at that point. Uh, right. Meanwhile, gold, after having been whacked to its August low of last year, about coincident, by the way, with the high in the S&P last year, it's September mm-hmm. 2018, has turned up, and uh, we recommended based on momentum factors that our Subscribers get long on layers. The midpoint of the entire long process was about twenty-eight. Uh, excuse me, twelve forty. Uh, we urge them to, best they can, ignore the pullback that we've had for the last three or four months. Mm-hmm. So far, that pullback has been noticeably anemic. If you're a short, even from the high in February, thirteen forty area, mm-hmm. right now you're you're gaining about three percent. <laughs> okay, it's mm-hmm. now four months later. You're up 3% if you're short of the top tick. Mm-hmm. Okay, put that in perspective. When you go back and compare to the 2016 high, that big rally high we had then, or the 2018 high, you count out the number of months we are since our February high, and you mm-hmm. were well below the high within that span of time. We're not. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even the price action of gold is tonally different than it was at those two prior peaks, which also reached into the mid-1300s. So what we have on a price chart for gold is a bunch of guys selling the mid-1300s thinking they can sell it there forever. And we mm-hmm. argued this last time they shouldn't have gotten back up into the mid-1300s unless it was a hint that they were going through, and I think that's what they're going to do. So mm-hmm. the recent action in gold, by the way, last week and then this week especially, indicates to us that you've highly likely seen the low of the pullback. That was in the 1260s. And the next trip is to go up and challenge the highs. Uh, right. Meanwhile, the gold miners, uh, typical, and silver as well, they're typically lagged to gold. And when gold is down, they're down more. Mm-hmm. When gold turns up convincingly, they flip up and become stronger than gold. We expect that again this time. Uh, that when, as gold is advancing from these current levels back up toward the 1320, 1340 level, that you'll see the, the gold miners, juniors, and majors, and you'll see silver suddenly get a backbone and start to outperform gold again. Mm-hmm. Well, I should tell our listeners, uh, with respect to your service uh, that you provide for gold and silver for precious metals, uh, that uh, you provide a lot of information there. And one of the things I really appreciate, Michael, is when you do individual charts on some of the miners. Most of them are bigger companies than I follow in my newsletter, uh, but there's uh, three of them that I have in my letter, uh, Kirkland Lake, Sandstorm, and Newcrest. Uh, You pointed out look extremely bullish based on the charts on your momentum work. Uh, and how, do the, how does the GDX look to you right now? Well, GDX on our intermediate 
trend. We look at long-term, intermediate, and short-term, okay? Uh, short-term and intermediate term uh, were the things that turned down for gold, silver, and GDX in the recent downturn of several months mm-hmm. ago, okay? Uh, GDX, in our view, is now turned back up as of yesterday's close, in fact, uh, was sufficient to cross a structure that goes back several months on our intermediate-term momentum chart. It's not evident on a price chart. Mm-hmm. Again, momentum uh, presents a different picture, and we go with momentum because momentum usually leads price, not the other way around. Yeah. Uh, so I like what GDX has done. We're waiting on silver. Uh, we'd like to see about 10 cents above today's high. That would turn it on, and I think we'll get it. Obviously, if gold continues to click up, the, the silver will get into gear again with it. I think what was going on yesterday, when uh, if you looked at your quote screens, anywhere you could, you could be in China, you could be in Japan, Europe, or here, you flip on your quote screen, and every stock index in the world was down heavily. Most industrial commodities were down heavily. Um, the, basically, the only green light on your screen was gold and gold mm-hmm. miners. Right. Uh, silver, meanwhile, was slightly down. So it didn't quite know whether, am I an industrial metal or am I part of the gold package? <laughs> and we argue, yeah. no, you're part of the gold package. Don't worry about it. Uh, uh-huh. Now, today, gold's down modestly and silver's up a little bit. But uh, uh-huh. we expect uh, the real surprise to come uh, if you get further gains in gold, which we expect, that silver's going to get a backbone and the miners will bolt upward as well. All right. We'll have to leave it go at that. Thanks again, Michael, for your uh, for your insights into these metals uh, markets, which, uh, of course, are so important to us and to our listeners. Uh, we'll look to Thank do you, it Jay. again next week. All right, folks. Well, uh, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because Gwen Preston, uh, author of uh, she's author of the Resource Maven, a very excellent newsletter and a uh, person I've learned to know from the Metals Investor Forum events. Uh, she'll be with us right after the break, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Gwen Preston. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Strike Point Gold, trading under SKP on the TSX and STKXF on the OTC, has a market cap of under $10 million. Strike Point is a new player in the Golden Triangle of BC and Canada. Focus will be on drilling the Willoughby Project in 2019. Prior drilling delivered over 20 meters of 25 grams per ton gold and 184 grams per ton silver. Recent receding glaciers have identified new gold targets. Neighboring projects have been acquired by Strike Point's largest shareholder, Ascot, Eric Sprott, and Skeena, round out the other top shareholders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. 
That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Gwen Preston with me again. Gwen is the resource maven. She has a considerable amount of experience covering junior mining companies as a journalist with the Northern Miner and has also worked along with uh, Marin Katusa at Casey Research. She now writes the Resource Maven, and she does an excellent job of covering those companies and an equally great job, I would say, of speaking about them at the Metals Investor Forum, where she will be once again on uh, this time on May 24th and 25th in downtown Vancouver. Uh, whenever possible, I like to listen to Gwen when I go to these events. We're usually very busy, but it's always a pleasure listening to her because she's a very good speaker. She knows her stuff. She speaks spontaneously, uh, and she's just uh, really a, a good friend of mine that I've learned to know at the Metals Investor Forum. Uh, she'll be there along with other speakers like Eric Coffin, Greg McCoach, John Kaiser, uh, Joe Masmeter, uh, Jordan Roy Byrne, and David Forrest. So. Thank you, Gwen. It's uh, really glad. I'm really glad to have you with me again. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. It's just uh, always good to talk to you. Um, there's three stocks. I think are you uh, that we want to talk about today. Are you inviting all three of those to the Metals Investor Forum? I am. Yep, for sure. Um, they're all three right. three that have been in my portfolio for varying periods of time, but I kind of pick three that um, I'm particularly excited about right now and also that are sort of at different stages in the project uh, trajectory. Indeed, they are. The one, the most advanced one, let's ask you about that one first, is Orizon Gold Corp. Uh, trades in Toronto under the symbol O-R-E. You can buy it down here in the States under O-R-Z-C-F. 212.3 million shares. I saw it at 42 cents in Canadian money earlier today, giving it a market cap of around 89 million dollars. Um, they have a project in Burkina Faso that's the Bombery Gold Project, I believe, Gwen, and, is it, um, and I believe they own 90% of it. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, Bombore is, I think, how most people say it. Um, and yeah, it's in, in partnership with the Burkina Faso government. So, that's the 90% versus 100% aspect. Um, but yeah, it's interesting when you when you say their, their current market cap. This stock is down considerably over the last year. And that market cap to me, sort of captures the state of the mining sector right now, the lack of interest mm-hmm. in the mining sector, because Bombore is a phenomenal project that is permitted to be built into a mine and that probably will be a mine in a pretty short period of time, less than two years, 18 months to two years type time frame. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's not going to cost a lot to build, has a very high rate of return, better than 40% rate of return, incredible expansion potential. This is the kind of uh, asset that would usually attract immense attention. If the market was any stronger, it would attract immense, attract immense attention. And the fact that it isn't is is a large part uh, just because the mining markets are are not getting a lot, getting the attention uh, that we want them to get these days. Um, but when you have a management team like Orzone has, they don't stop just because the market has decided to look at, you know, look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. This is a team. The team here is a really important part of the story. This is a team who mm-hmm. collectively have built 13 mines. They've inked 19 M&A transactions. They've secured 10 project debt uh, deals. They've raised $2 billion in equity, and they've operated 10 mines. So these guys are planning, financing, building this mine and they're the guys who you want to be doing exactly that and they're full steam ahead with that process right now 
And I applaud them for that because what they're doing is building this mine that's going to stand out as a new, high-margin, low-cost mine um, in a gold market as that gold market gets going. Um, So I I think this is an incredibly undervalued opportunity right now. And for those who are interested in investing, both of the potential outcomes here work well. And what I mean by that is either Orzone gets taken out because a a mid-tier or major gold miner looks at them Mm-hmm. and says this project is too good to be true, it has this big expansion opportunity, we need to own this asset, so either they get taken out, or this incredible management team with such deep expertise in building and operating mines builds and then starts to operate this mine, which would also work out well for the share price. So I really think that it is well protected, um, and the price is, is a bit unbelievable. I'm not going to say that it's going to shoot up tomorrow. This is they're in the process of building a mine, so that's a bit of a grind. But what's yes. really important is that this asset is permitted. So we're not in the middle of a permitting process. It's 100% permitted. They're just relocating a village and about to start building the mine itself. And so the really big hurdles are out of the way, and this thing is ready to start rolling. Okay, so I, I can't the financing a. Is always a, a big issue for companies, and and they're really a rare, sort of a rare uh, occurrence here because they have the ability to, to operate it themselves, which gives them some leverage over many and most of the companies that you and I know up there that are able to perhaps to find a viable deposit, but then they have to wait for someone else to take them out. So, they mm-hmm. can go either way, which is really a big advantage. Uh, Gwen, could you tell us how many ounces of gold do they have? Uh, are they looking in? How much were built into their feasibility study, which I believe is only the oxide portion of their deposit, right? That's exactly right, yeah. So, the oxide um, part of the mine plan, which is what the mine plan is right now, is about one and a half million ounces in the resource. Um, so, that's great. Uh, it supports a very solid mine plan as it is, but what they're currently doing is looking at a few optimization opportunities for that mine plan. And the big important one is the idea of incorporating an expansion into the sulfides, which sit just below, and which offer another two and a half million ounces of gold. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the sulfide processing is not difficult. Some sulfides are harder than others, right? But this is actually a pretty easy sulfide. So uh, the study isn't out yet, so I don't want to put the horse before the cart here, or the cart before the horse. (laughs) Horses usually (laughs) go before carts. Um, (laughs) But I I expect that the sulfide expansion study to be a pretty seamless, not not capital-intensive opportunity to expand this mine in its first few years of operation. And that would really increase um, has the potential to significantly increase Bumboy's annual output, and that would enhance its project economics. And importantly, that sulfide expansion, I think, is key to making Bumboy especially attractive to those mid-tiers and majors who are looking right. for high-margin, long-lived assets. Yeah. All right. Well, they uh, they have a big, a major structure, I know, uh, that looks pretty attractive uh, if, they, if they can make it work. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's really a good story. I, I've I've known about it. I guess Burkina Fossil is the one issue that sort of kept me away from it uh, in a way. I mean, there's always the political risk. What are what are your thoughts about that? Oh, for sure. I mean, Burkina Faso. You get asked. I get asked that question all the time. I know the team gets asked that question all the time. Absolutely, sure. it's, and it's a very valid question. I would say um, 
First of all, Burkina Faso is rich with gold, so that's not a question. But it is a more functional mining jurisdiction than you would perhaps initially guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For instance, 11 mines have been built in that um, country in the last 10 years, and there's two more that are under construction right now. So the northern uh, sort of third of Burkina Faso is where there is conflict and where things are disruptive, disrupted. But the center and south of the country is very is very functional, and uh, there are not uh, those those same risks present there. And, and Bombori is in smack in the middle of the country. It's it's only I don't remember the exact distance. It's mm-hmm. Something like a hundred kilometers from the capital city. It's so it's it's not in a risky part of the country. Um, and again, this team has a lot of expertise operating in countries of this ilk. So mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. Uh, those risks are certainly addressed within this mm-hmm. story. Okay, no doubt uh, those factors are priced into the shares as well. So, all right, let's uh, yeah. move along here. I'm realizing we're, we're going to run out of time before I know what's happening. <laughs> Skina Resources, uh, trading in Canada. This is one that I have on my list. Uh, SKREF in the, in the U.S., SKE in Canada, 103 million shares, 46 cents. It's moved up nicely so far this year, I, I suppose, about the time you started telling your subscribers about it, Gwen. Uh, it's at 46 cents and a market cap of $47 million or so. Um, they have two very high-grade former producing gold mines in British Columbia's uh, Golden Triangle, the Snip Mine and the SK Creek Mine. Tell us about the story there. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about how I like projects that I'm describing as strong and splashy. So by that, mm-hmm. what I mean is projects that are strong because they have a good defined resource that's advancing towards production, but they also have this potential to generate splash through exciting drill results or discoveries on, on new zones or, or strategic investments or something like that. So they've got both aspects of what the market loves. And I think Skina is a great example of that strong and splashy. So both projects that you mentioned, SNP and SK Creek, like you say, uh, both famous projects, especially SK Creek. I mean, this is a mine that produced over 3 million ounces of gold, 160 million ounces of silver from rock that was just phenomenally high grade, like 45 grams per ton gold, mm-hmm. ounce and a half stuff. Um, but uh, first of all, they left a lot of gold behind because their cutoffs were really high, the previous miners. And also... That initial mining effort was from a rock type, a mudstone, that also had a good number of nasties in it, like arsenic. Mm -hmm. So Skeena Mm -hmm. went back, and they've delineated another 3 million ounces of gold and 70 million ounces of silver. And a lot of that resource is in a different rock type that doesn't have those contaminants, but most of it sits in open pit shells. So you're talking about a resource that averages something like 6 grams per ton gold, and it's shaping up into a high-grade, open, pitable deposit. So that is sort of the definition of strong, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, get, we'll get clarity on exactly that later this year because Skina is, is targeting an initial PEA on the project later this year. So I think that um, is going to be exciting. And then the splash could come from drilling because we're talking about a deposit that, like I say, has, the, has demonstrated incredible mineralization in the past and recently. And so from stepping out close to the deposit, from infill drilling the deposit, from testing some new zones, I really think there's the opportunity for Skina to generate some attention-grabbing drill results <clears throat> that would be yeah. the sort of splash aspect of, this, mm-hmm. of the strong and splash. What um, is the timing, Gwen, do you think, uh, for, for the SNP and for the SK Creek? I mean, how far away are, are we from some kind of a production, and how far will this company be able to take it themselves? 
Those are good questions for sure. So they're both a long way from any kind of production. We're both, <clears throat> with, uh, with SK, we're just about to produce the initial idea of a mine plan. And with, mm-hmm. with SNP, we're even farther back than that. Um, this, this is not a team that is designing to build a mine, but this mm-hmm. is a team that is demonstrating that there's a huge opportunity here to build a mine. So they're focused on exploration. They have a really strong ge- geologic team, and they have a very savvy capital markets team, I would say, too. This company mm-hmm. has demonstrated an ability to access capital in really tough markets. I'd say a good example of that, you mentioned how the share price has been rising nicely in the last little while. Mm-hmm. That happened that almost kick-started when Skeena announced a financing. Most exploration companies these days, if they announce financing, their share price slides. goes down. Yeah. Skeena, there were so many people who wanted into the financing, even though it didn't have a warrant, that they couldn't accommodate them all, and so people were buying in the market instead. So this is a team that's really able to understand the capital markets, get people excited about the story, and I think that's showing in the share price. And, uh, yeah, with these two assets that, that can generate splashy results and that have good fundamental strengths and that are moving, you know, taking a, a steps towards production, uh, I think it's a kind of story that has the characteristics that the market really likes these days. All right, let's go to the final one. Quebec uh, Precious Metals uh, trades in Canada, CJC. In the U.S., you can buy it under CJCFF, 45 million shares, 23 cents a share, um, market cap of only around $10 million in Canadian money. So uh, they're operating in the James Bay area of Quebec. Uh, Gold Corp, I believe, is a strategic investor there. It's flagship uh, property, this uh, Sakami. And I guess there's ongoing drilling there now, Gwen. Is there? And just tell us uh, what can we look forward to with this one. This is an earlier stage story than the other two, obviously. Absolutely. I would describe Sakami, the project, as sort of an advanced discovery asset. So Quebec Precious Metals is still a pretty new company. It was born of a three-main merger less than a year ago to focus on this project. Um, And what I want to note is the discovery is pretty big already. It's already had a lot of holes into it, and those holes have delineated a pretty large zone. So I think Quebec Precious Metals is going to come out the gate with a resource sometime later this year that's bigger than 2 million ounces that alone is going to attract attention as an initial resource. Second, the grades are really good. So not only will the resource be big, I think it will average three, four, maybe better than four grams per ton gold. So a large, high-grade resource just down the road from the Eleanor mine. So Gold Corp, now Gold Corp, now Newmont Gold Corp, of course, owns and operates Eleanor, less than 100 kilometers away. It needs more ore. That's why Gold Corp made a strategic investment into Mm. Quebec Precious Metals because the two, the the new developing gold zone at Sakami and the very well-known mineralization, well-understood mineralization at Eleanor look almost identical. So this is an exploration event. This is an exploration play, but it's advanced and it's really um, interesting. But it's not very well known yet um, because Mm. it's new. The team hasn't needed to raise money since its debut because it got that strategic investment from Gold Corp. And you mentioned only has 45 million shares out. Almost half of those sit with Gold Corp management and a few long-term Quebec institutions. Mm -hmm. So it's also a very tight share structure. So we're looking Mm -hmm. at throw results, a resource estimate that I think is going to surprise the market with its scale and grade, a tight share structure, a, a likely buyer right next door. For an exploration play, I think Quebec Precious Metals has a lot to offer. Is this uh, a near-surface, I guess, a near-surface deposit? 
Yeah, it starts right at surface. It's a fairly mm-hmm. steeply dipping, um, overturned lens. Um, mm-hmm. And so a fair chunk of it would fit into an open pit. That's, since we don't even have a resource estimate yet, it's a bit uh, early to t- talk yeah, about these sure. things. But it certainly starts at surface, strikes for a long way along surface. So, yeah, it's, it's not a deep, a deep situation. All right. Well, that sounds really good. Uh, very low market cap. People don't know about it yet. Uh, the buyer next door. Yeah, all those things... Uh, Sounds, sounds pretty attractive. Gwen, thank you so much for spending your time uh, telling oh, us uh, I, I about these stories. The opportunity. Yeah. Really great, and it'd be great to see you up there in, uh, in Vancouver and hear what else you have to say uh, in Vancouver, 24th and 25th of this month. All right, well, um, thank you again, Gwen. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Peter Groskoff, the CEO and Managing Director of Sprott, Inc., will be with us to tell us, oh, give us his views on gold and um, what he's doing at Sprott to make money for their shareholders. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Groskow. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Oren Resources is a copper gold exploration company pursuing the world's next major discoveries. It has seven projects, including two active flagships, Committee Bay in northern Canada and Sombrero in southern Peru. This summer will be one of the most exciting times in Oren's history as the company turns the drill at Sombrero for the first time ever. The project's impressive surface results have identified Sombrero as an analog to one of Peru's biggest mines. Oren is also implementing cutting-edge machine learning technology to unlock its highly prospective gold belt at Committee Bay. Visit OrenResources.com and subscribe to keep up with the company's busy year ahead. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Peter Groskoff. He is the CEO and um, Managing Director at Sprott, Inc. Uh, Peter has more than 30 years of experience in the financial service industry. At Sprott, he is responsible for strategy and managing the firm's investment capital and lending businesses. Um, his career includes a long tenure in investment banking where he managed many strategic and under, underwriting transactions for companies in a variety of sectors. 
Prior to joining Sprott, Peter was president of Cormac Securities, and he has a track record of building and growing successful businesses, including Newcrest Capital, Inc., uh, and he was one of the founders there. Uh, And that was acquired by TD Bank Financial Group in 2000. Peter is a certified financial analyst, a chart holder, and uh, earned an honors degree in business administration and master's of business administration uh, from the Richard Ivey School of Business at the University of Western Ontario. So, Peter, I'm really pleased that you could join us today. Thanks for coming with us. Thanks for having me, Jay. Um, I want to start off by getting a sense of your views on gold, and then I want to explore some some of the ways that listeners might avail themselves to the various opportunities that Sprott provides, uh, perhaps as shareholders of, of Sprott or uh, some of the many different um, investment vehicles that you have available. Uh, so let's get started with your views on gold, the metal. Uh, you know, a 2020 vision, it's obvious that with a few exceptions, most investors who put money in the gold money shares not fared very well uh, in the last few years. And I'm recalling a chart. Uh, one of your analysts presented uh, to myself and other newsletter writers that were up in your office a few years ago, perhaps in 2016, when the price of gold had just risen off a horrible bear market. We peaked out at I don't know, around 1900 in 2011, then we went down to near 1000 bucks, I believe, and then bounced off early 2016. It looked like we were off to the races again when we were up in your office. Uh, but since then, of course, we've come back a lot. I think we bounced maybe, we might have, well, we, we had a nice bounce early 2016. Where do you think we are now in, in these long-term, because we've seen long-term bull markets in gold. The chart that I'm referring to showed a big bull market with the, uh, the S&P, um, the the S and P Toronto Gold uh, Index it went up 760 percent starting in 1982 till about 19 uh, 1990 I should say yeah 1982 to 1990 or thereabouts and then you had another 607 percent rise from uh, 2000 until 2011 but then you have these short really wicked declines um, so where do you think we are now in the longer term mm. scheme of things. Well, let, let's just start with gold, then, Jay. Um, gold has had a difficult eight years as it's kind of been in the penalty box, and the reason for that is that the balance of the markets, the really big markets, equity and and interest rate markets, have have been rallying, and gold tends to take a back seat and lose investor interest during those times because there's comfort that the world's uh, central planners, if you want to call them that, have Mm -hmm. everything under control. And Mm -hmm. when you look at the last eight years, it really looks as though things have been pretty good. Economies have generally been okay. There's been some crises in international markets, but they've not really affected our big one here in North America. And uh, employment growth has been strong, and, and so unemployment is low. And uh, the markets themselves have responded uh, vigorously. I, I mean, this has been an epic rally now for eight years, and mm-hmm. um, nobody feels in that kind of an environment that they need the insurance that gold really provides. So gold's been in the penalty box. Gold's been range-bound. It's been fighting a strong U.S. dollar in particular for the last two years. And for the last four months, 
just to focus on it, um, gold had acted very well as a hedge during the market corrections of November and December this last, mm-hmm. last year. But it's become hurt again by the fact that the markets have been on another roaring sort of four to five month path. So if you sugar that all off, I think the conditions now exist that it's a it's it's on the pad of a tightly coiled spring. It's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and it will respond extremely strongly to the next crisis um, that might develop. Yeah, the next crisis that might develop, and but there, you know, the minds and hearts of most investors, that's not something that's likely to happen until it happens, and then I guess that's why we call this an insurance policy to own gold, right? It's a, You don't really want it to happen. Who wants to have horrible things happen uh, so that the price of gold goes up? I mean, that would be asinine. I'm right. sure that that's not. You don't but want it, but it is. to happen, but you you do have to use your your mind and logic and look at some of the underlying signs. And I would say there are some very troubling uh, statistics or 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 movements that you can track now, where you might you know, very logically say the odds of a crisis in the next. Six to twelve months are actually quite high, and um, you know I'll point some of those out now. Obviously, the one yesterday was the the trade um, negotiation between China and the U.S., which really overlies a much larger structural battle that the two of them are having for world economic dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's not going well, that becomes a an economy slowdown type of risk that hadn't been expected. And and that's what yesterday's movement was all about. When the markets got absolutely pounded, uh, gold was having a great day, as you would expect it to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Peter, this leads me to ask you, uh, my my uh, friend and partner, Chen Lin, wanted me to ask you, uh, if trade if the trade war lasts till the election, what's the impact uh, to gold and the economy? Well, the longer it lasts, the more risk there is that it's going to do permanent damage to the economy on both sides. And mm-hmm. um, we've baked in certain, you know, all, all of these huge movements are really um, studies in what happens at the margin. And what happens at the margin if you get this trade war rhetoric and the tr- tariffs coming in at the margin, economic activity slows, S&P earnings slow, um, and risks start to crop up with emerging markets and their ability to sustain, sustain their debt loads and, and what happens with their currency. So everything at the margin goes the wrong way. So that's the, the risk. And, and again, gold providing good insurance to that. I, I want to point, though, Jay, at a couple of things that are even more important in the long mm-hmm. run, in our view. Yes. And that is the fact that just look at the debt load... Mm-hmm. And the interest burden that we've put on the economy and the future generations um, at the lowest ever interest rate levels. Yes. So what happens with that? And and supposedly, while economies are are quite good and 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 bull markets are in full sway, again, what happens at the margin? 
when either economies slow down, tax receipts slow down, or or um, interest rates go up, uh, I think you know the answer. At the margin, mm-hmm. it very quickly um, becomes a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen in the last five months is direct evidence of that problem because when the markets were starting to crater in December, why did the Treasury Secretary call the heads of the banks? Why? I mean, you can't even think of a scenario other than to tell them, we're going to put the accelerator back on. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, because we're going to rescue this market, and we're going to tap some dovish comments and tweet some of this and tap some of that and start the programs again. And that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. And that was the warning call. That that call by the Treasury Secretary, I forget what day it was in December, was to say, okay, we got the message. We cannot sustain any more damage. We're going to start tapping the accelerator again. Mm-hmm. And that's me... Yeah, And the backdrop to that is really politics. Mm-hmm. There is not an economy or a political system in this world that can become reformist right now. It's all going populist. And mm-hmm. the, the, those populist government, government elections and that, we're, that we're seeing, whether they be right-wing or left-wing, mm-hmm. are doing one thing in tandem, and that is printing money. Mm-hmm. So All right, it, we think the trend is, is that the, the world can't get off this supply of fuel now. And mm-hmm. there's just going to be, what do they call it, Mo- modern monetary theories coming out the yin-yang now. And mm-hmm. there's going to be massive deficit spending. And there's going to be massive money printing. And that's what's, what it takes now at the margin to sustain this debt load. And massive money printing, Peter, means massive debt increases, too, because it's not as if there's not two sides of the ledger. You know, there's well, the asset and the liability, modern, right? So every time we create money, because money is manufactured no from debt. Call it debt. You just print it. Yeah. You don't call it. But, it, I mean, it doesn't there's, matter because, you know, the burden of the, of, uh, of the economy and, and the future generations just take the extra currency and make it work somehow, like, yeah. like it's magic. Well, that's what they think. Um, but could we see a Weimar Republic, a Weimar Germany kind of a thing? Or, or you don't have to go that far back in history. There's plenty of them more currently. Uh, but the U.S. as the world's reserve currency, as long as we have the world's reserve currency, Peter, can't we get away with this? And how do we, re- how do we retain the world's reserve currency? Well, we can get away with it to an extent as long as we're the world's reserve currency, although there's a lot of factors at work to change that. But, of course, it all comes down to inflation expectations and when does it become apparent to me as a participant in this economy that prices are going up far more than treasury bonds are yielding and so Mm -hmm. I don't want to own treasuries anymore. Mm -hmm. We can't be far from that. We can't be far from that now, I would think. Rates go up. And when rates go up again, the equation gets worse, the printing gets more, and you're into that vicious cycle. Right. So I would, I would suggest we're actually not that far away from seeing the start of it. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I, I, I complain about a lot 
that has delayed it is the constant references to the low numbers around the CPI index. And as we all know, nobody that's operating in our markets can survive on the CPI. The actual rate of inflation is a lot higher. No doubt. And so holding treasury bonds, whether you're holding them in the U.S. or whether you're holding bonds in Germany or whether you're holding... Turkish bank deposits in in Turkey, Uh, as a consumer, your money is already being repressed. Your cash is already being eroded. Your buying power is disappearing. And so our view on gold is full stop. It is a better than dollar cash equivalent. Mm -hmm. Why would you want cash in the bank when you know you're suffering losses to have that? All right, so Peter, I would like to get on to some of the uh, some of the products, some of the opportunities that Sprott provides for investors. Uh, you know, you can buy gold, you can put it away somewhere. You don't get any return on your investment, um, but that's okay longer term because, as you just said, it's a superior cash uh, holding than than uh, than the dollar even. Uh, but I would like to suggest, uh, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about the products that Sprott offers, but. Sprott Inc., you can buy it down here in the States under SPOXF, trades in Toronto and in Canada under SII, $2.25 I saw today, $253 million market cap, or $253 million shares, about a $570 million market cap, and I believe you're paying a dividend, aren't you, Peter, something like 4% or something like that? Yeah, that's correct. We've done that since the company completed its IPO. So uh, tell us a little bit, uh, for the investors that aren't familiar with Sprott, Inc., tell us what your business model is, what you do. You have a whole lot of things that you're involved with that you're doing mostly in the, uh, mostly in the resource sector, mostly in the precious metals space, I believe. Yeah, so we are an asset manager investment firm in the gold space primarily. We, we also cover other mined commodities uh, globally. And as an asset manager, we have management fee income over the asset and deposits that we manage. It's not unlike a royalty company. Mm-hmm. We sit on top of um, about 10.5 billion Canadian or call it 8 billion U.S. of assets. And we collect in some cases a very small fee and in some cases a slightly higher fee from that um, that stock of investments. And then we have certain operating expenses, which are mostly in Canadian dollars, while our revenue is mostly in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, the balance is margin. And that margin pays what effectively is like a royalty as our dividend stream. Mm-hmm. And we have some uh, some free cash as well that, uh, that, that we use to invest in building our business every year. Mm-hmm. And so for our shareholders, what we want to provide is upside exposure to the sector. And we have that in three leveraged ways. One is operating leverage. So we have a fixed, relatively fixed expense base. And obviously, if gold or gold investments go up, we make more margin. So we have that leverage. We also have the leverage of investment sales, so if, if gold becomes more popular, we, we can create 
more units to our funds and mm-hmm. we can benefit from those inflows. And that's the second, you know, uh, amount of leverage on our, our income statement. And the third mm-hmm. would be performance fees. If we do very well for our clients, we can start to collect performance fees from our investors and then we have um, almost an exponential return like we did in the year 2010, which was the last year of the gold bull market, and in which we earned um, 200 million in performance fees. Wow, nice! So you can you Two, can see the power of leverage. Yeah, the power of uh, 200 million compared to your current market cap is uh, pretty significant. Yeah, um, the Canadian dollar quote I gave you there on the 200, mm, but um, mm-hmm, it, it mm-hmm. is even so significant well, against our our market cap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, on your asset management, who are your clients in that in that business activity? Are they well, corporate clients? Or? We have about one hundred and fifty thousand clients globally that are retail investors that invest directly in in our more liquid funds, and those mm-hmm. clients are mostly in the U.S. Um, in in certain cases, we have funds that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange, carrying our physical bullion. And they're competitors to the GLD. Mm-hmm. And in, in other cases, we have some of the world's largest institutions that invest with us. And, and they'll buy anything from bullion to highly specialized private equity-style strategies in, uh, in mining, including mm-hmm. uh, making loans to mining companies and buying private you know, mining deals. Um, so everything in between we have uh, from some very large institutions to some direct family office and high net worth and even small net worth investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so your physical bullion trust that you have, you have the uh, CEF, that's the gold and silver, the gold, it's PHYS, the silver uh, bullion uh, ETF is PSLV, and you also have a platinum uh, and palladium, I think, SPPP. I would imagine that one's not terribly active, but boy, it's a must have done pretty well with the palladium performing as it has. It did do well from palladium. It and did, um, um, all of the the physical trusts have been a little bit quiet because if you look at the overall movement of customer dollars into physical trusts in the last two years, it's been pretty flattish. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't seen retail investors really taking into physical metals lately, again, because of the conditions in the rest of the markets and because other areas like Bitcoin and cannabis shares really captured the, oh, yeah. the, the attention the attention mm-hmm. of more aggressive investors. So the trusts have been pretty quiet, but they've been quietly doing their job, which is to protect value by, by storing that metal and, and being liquid on the exchange. All right, uh, Peter, with just a couple of minutes left here, less than two minutes, uh, you've got the gold okay. miners, uh, you've got a couple of ETF, gold share ETFs, gold miners, and junior gold miners. Can you tell our listeners what, you know, what makes them unique, or are they unique uh, compared to some of the other ETFs in, in that space? Well, they are. The ETFs that we run are uh, governed by a screen, which screens them for growth, revenue growth. And, and production growth, and also for balance sheet strength. So, 
Um, our ETFs will notably outperform the GDX ETFs, which are our primary competition at certain times, and at certain times they, they lag. It kind of depends on the exact nature of the market we're in. We, we like to think of ours as better long-term value pickers. Okay. And we'll have to leave it go at that, Peter. liquid and they're in ETF form. Yeah, we'll have to leave it go at that. I'm, I wanted to ask you about the Sprott Focus Fund, the Sprott Resource Holdings. Perhaps we can have you back to talk about those. Those are public companies that our listeners could invest in as well, from what I understand. And they look kind of attractive to me. So we'll want to talk to you again sometime in the near future about those things, Peter. Thank you so much for being with us. We'd be happy and to do that. To, thank you, Jake, for having do it again. me on. All right. All the best. Well, folks, uh, that's all we have uh, for this week. Keith Weiner, who's a monetary metals firm, is providing the ability for investors to earn a return on their gold bullion, 3 or 4%, by leasing that gold to end users. He'll be with us next week. Also, Peter Talman of Glondike Gold, and hopefully Michael Oliver will be with us once again next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 